On this episode, I'm in the room with Elise Fitzpatrick discussing theology, women's ministry, and her book, Found in Him. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 39. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you're listening for the first time, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find lots of ways for you and I to stay connected online by visiting my blog at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. In the Room is your opportunity to eavesdrop on my conversations with interesting people. Each week, I sit down with people of varied backgrounds, perspectives, and vocations. So I talk with pastors and professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. On this episode, I'm in the room with Elise Fitzpatrick. Elise is a counselor, speaker, and the head of Counsel from the Cross Ministries. She's written almost 20 books, including Found in Him, The Joy of the Incarnation and Our Union with Christ. In my conversation with Elise, we discuss what type of ministry women need most, how to grow in our affection for theology, and how the doctrines of incarnation and union with Christ impact us day to day. I want to say thanks for listening and invite you in the room for my conversation with Elise Fitzpatrick. All right, Elise, thank you so much uh, for coming on in the room. I really appreciate it. I, I wanted to start, I noticed uh, the tagline on your website and the bio on your Twitter account says, no fluff, no bricks, just good news. And I thought that that was a really fabulous way to summarize your ministry. But I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about how that simple statement informs your ministry and your message. Well, um, thanks. Thank you for asking. Um, First of all, so much of what is offered to women in women's ministry is fluff. Yes. And what that I mean by that is, you know, let's let's have a uh, let's have a conference to talk about, you know, how to fold napkins. Right. Um and I you know, I I don't I don't want to I don't want to be unkind, but you know, um, Martha Stewart can teach you to fold a napkin better than most people in any church. So that's if true. you're into folding napkins, then that's a really wonderful thing, and go a- go after it. Yeah. Um, that's not, however, the message of the church. The church's message is not, let's fold napkins so that they look like the empty tomb or something. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and you're laughing because you think that's hyperbole, but it's really not. Oh, that's so sad. Um, so on one hand, I you know I'm not there. My message isn't here to entertain women or to um, or to give them some sort of you know helpful hints. Susie's helpful hints to being a a better you. That's mm-hmm. I, that's not where I'm coming from. And actually, in some ways, all those what we might call helpful hints really function as law. Yes. They they crush so many women. So no fluff, nothing silly. I mean, that's not to say I don't have fun um, when I write or when I speak. But that, my my primary goal is is not warm fuzzies. Right. On the other hand, um, the next part of my motto is no bricks, which means I am going to do everything I can not to load anybody's backpack up or diaper bag up with uh, more bricks, more things that they have to do in order to be the kind of woman they're supposed to be. And I'll tell you, that message of law comes at women from, first of all, of course, from their own hearts. And we can talk about that at some point. But 
comes from their own hearts since we are all by nature legalists yep. and want to try to figure out some way to climb up Jacob's ladder. But uh, it also comes to women from uh, the church, you know, messages uh, that the church sends about, you know, how to be a great mom. If you're not a great mom, your children are going to be ruined and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Uh, how to be a great wife, how to be a perfect single woman, how to, in all of those messages, they come, women tend to take these things very seriously and they come to women as law. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to give fluff. I don't want, I'm not wasting my time. A friend, uh, Steve Brown, always says, I'm too old. I don't have time to shilly shally. <laughs> yeah. That's that's where I'm at. You know, yeah. I, I no no fluff, no shilly shally. On the other hand, uh, I I'm I'm thinking that if a, when a woman walks out of the grocery store, goes through that checkout line, and she sees all those magazines that are telling her all the things she needs to do, um, she needs to understand that that's coming to her as law. And the law needs to um, uh, not enter into her conscience. Yeah. Uh, so we don't want we don't want women to hear messages of law. That's not because they should never hear the law, but that's not the message I want to give. Right. And the message I want to give is good news. Right. And the good news is Jesus Christ said it is finished, and He wasn't kidding. Yeah. That's good. Well, I want to come back to this whole topic of women's ministry and, and all of that in just a few minutes. But first, I want to understand a little bit more about your background. So I know, I think I read in your bio and one of your books that you are originally from and still in Southern California. Is that correct? Yes, I am. All right. Trying not to hate me. No, it's my parents are from San Diego. So oh, that's where I'm I've, at. Yeah. Oh, is it? Excellent. Yes. Um, so you were not raised in a Christian home, correct? Yes, that's right. So that's, how did how did you come to faith? Yes, I was raised, um, my mother was a non-practicing Catholic, and my father was a non-practicing Jew. Okay. And my mother and father divorced fairly early on. And uh, I did, however, have a grandmother who was a Lutheran, and she would take me, and I think my mother would go from time to time with us as well, to the Lutheran Church, and so I was baptized as a Lutheran and confirmed in the Lutheran Church, but had never really come to faith. And I would not say that our household was really a household where we could say I was raised in the faith at all. So that by the time I was 13, I asked my mother, uh, why are we here? And, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I'm asking metaphysical questions. And my mother said, I think, honey, that it's just so we can all learn to get along. And I thought, well, that's the lamest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. (laughs) So, uh, I think I'll eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die. Right. And uh, so, I set out on a pathway of uh, debauchery that really ended me up by the time I was 20. Uh, I had been married and divorced. I had a child. Um, I was living a completely debauched life, total party city, and um, I moved in. The Lord had already been working in my heart to make me dissatisfied with the life that I was living. Uh, And then uh, by a series of events that the Lord arranged, I moved in next door to a woman whose name is Julie, 
and Julie was a believer. Okay. And so she would come over, and on days when I was too loaded to take care of myself or my son, she would come over and take care of us and uh, talk to me about Jesus. And mm. she would she would give me those little chick tracks, you know, those old yeah. those old tracks with the little cartoons in them. And yep. there was always the praying grandmother, you know, yes. that goes to heaven and all of that. Well, you know, the Lord used those things. Yeah. Um, I'm not that I would tell people they ought to use them now, but the Lord really did use that in my life. And, um, and I found myself in the summer of, um, 1971, uh, on my knees, uh, in my little studio apartment next door to Julie, uh, praying, um, God, I, I don't know you. Uh, I, if you, if you want to take my life, take it. Cause right now I, I got nothing. Yeah. And the Lord, the Lord saved my soul. That's awesome. I wonder you. Uh, one of the the book I want to talk about in just a few minutes is uh, found in Him, and in that you go to great lengths to really describe the loneliness of your childhood. and And I was thinking when I was reading that, I wonder what impact that experience of being young and being lonely. What experience did that, or what uh, what uh, influence did that have on your ministry now? Do you feel like yes. you're more empathetic as a result of that? Or like what, what impact did that have? I, I would hope that I am, you know, um, understanding what it's like to be a young woman uh, sort of alone with n- no father. Uh, my mother worked two jobs. So basically raising myself, I would hope that it makes me more empathetic Um that it, it that it gives me more uh, patience with people who are uh, weak uh-huh. because because of their history. Uh, I would hope that it would do that. I honestly think that Ryan, that what really what really has transformed the way that I interact with people is sure the Lord used that history that I have, but it's really come to coming to more of an understanding of how the gospel, um, how Christ has loved me. Yeah. Um, every day of my life, even, even when I didn't love him, yeah. how he has loved me. And that I think has been the thing that has really transformed me. Um, as far as dealing with other people who struggle with weakness. Yeah. All right. So 71, you read a track, you come to faith. Where did your, were you, were you, cause you're married now, correct? You've been married yes. a long time. So when did you remarry? Yes. I remarried about four years later, uh, right after I got saved, I went to uh, a little local Bible college through a series of events uh-huh. and um, went to a little Bible college. It was at a charismatic church. Okay. But they had just started a Bible college for all of the young people who were basically getting saved off the streets in the Jesus movement. Okay. In Southern California. So uh, I uh, went to Bible college. I met. Uh, the man who is now my husband at Bible College, we came from radically different uh, backgrounds. His family was like a leading family in the church, and okay. I came into the church in overalls and bare feet. Yes. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a fun melding. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, then uh, went immediately to Bible College four years later, was married. Okay, so where where did you where do you feel like your burden for ministry 
be, like, where did that, was that right away? Did that happen in Bible college? What was your path into, because, I mean, you're a, a speaker, an author, you do counseling. So where, where did the burden for those things come from? Uh, I think that I always knew that I had gifting for teaching. And uh, so even from the very beginning, I was teaching Sunday school and I was teaching women's groups and those sort of things. I think the real burden to help women happened maybe mm, 10 years after my salvation, 10 or 15 years after my salvation. I really began to see that women struggled in all sorts. Christian women were really struggling in all kinds of ways. And I felt like there weren't really answers being given to them that were founded in Scripture and that would uh, really satisfy their souls. So in 1986, I began study of in biblical counseling um, at what was then the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation mm-hmm. uh, in, in San Diego. And, um, and I, I went through that program primarily because I was looking around the church and seeing so many women falling, so many women struggling, and really without a woman uh, uh, near them who could show them that the scriptures really did have answers for what they were struggling with. Out of that training, of course, I've done counseling for years, but out of that training then, I went ahead and got a master's degree in biblical counseling. Okay. And, um, and then out of that came the writing and the speaking. Okay. It was never a career path for me. Okay. So, which, so you're, you're a teacher, counselor, author. Which do you prefer? Do you view yourself as a teacher and then you just have various mediums in which you do that? Correct. Okay. I, I think that my sweet spot is really when I'm speaking and teaching. Okay. Uh, I, I think that the Lord really uses that. Um, the, the problem, of course, with that is that you have to travel to get there a lot of times. Yes. And... And so that's difficult for me because I'm older. But I, I would say, yes, it's, it's to communicate uh, the news of what, of what God has done for us and to help women, again, who are really struggling and they think, well, I sh- I'm a Christian, so things should be different in my life. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're not, and I don't know what's going on. Right. Well, I think if the, if the most recent number I saw online is correct. Have you written 21 books now? Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's 22, but whatever. Yeah, right. 21's fine. <laughs> well, whether or not it was a career path, it has definitely become a major part of your ministry. And I was curious in writing that many books, do you have one in particular that's your favorite? Yes. What's your yes. favorite? Found in him. Found in him. By far. Excellent. By far. Well, that's great, because we're going to talk about that in just a sec. But first, I want to, I want to get you ranting about women's ministry a little bit, because I'm pretty fired up about this. So, <laughs> so you do a lot of women's ministry. Yes. And um, I'll just be honest, as a, as a pastor and as a husband, um, so much of what I see for women is honestly um, sad. It assumes... And, and you can push back on this if you don't think I'm right, but so much of what I see, I feel like assumes that women are either stupid yes, or yeah. can't handle or aren't interested in anything of substance. So it's lots of self-help, like fortune cookies wrapped in Bible yes. verses and Oprah-isms. And so I was wondering, like, why is that? 
Like where, where do you think that has come from? And then as a follow-up, what is it that women actually need? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, uh, I'll do my best to answer in a, in a godly way. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes, I think that first of all, okay, let's go back 30 years. Okay. Um, let's say that 30 years ago, there really wasn't a lot of stuff out there primarily written for women. Okay. Was there, was there much out then that was written for men? <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, I think the assumption always was that uh, men were going to be um, men were going to be reading okay. uh, the, theo- the heavier theological stuff, and women would be reading, uh, forgive me, this sounds terrible, but women would be reading, you know, uh, Christian romance books, which, are, which just simply send me over the edge. Yes. So um, I, I think that that was what was going on, let's say, 30 years ago. Okay. Then, uh, about 30 years ago, uh, several things started happening. You know, Dr. Uh, Spock, not from Star Trek, but right. the child psychologist right, came right. out and, with his book on um, raising children. Uh-huh. And then uh, Maribel Morgan wrote a book called The Total Woman. That book, which I don't think people your age are even aware of, that book was really one of the very first Christian books about published by a, a, a Christian publisher uh-huh. that was primarily aimed at the Christian woman on how to be a good woman, how to be a good wife. All right. That thing sold a bazillion copies. Hmm. It's kind of funny now. When I go and speak at conferences, I'll say, do you remember that book? And everybody my age remembers it and laughs because there's parts of it I won't even go into, but there are parts of it that are just really awful. Okay. Anyway, that the success of that book then spawned book after book after book about being a woman. Then in the 19 you know, mid 1970s, 1980s, we have the rise of feminism <clears throat> and I am not a feminist, but uh, much of what the church has produced in response to feminism is again um, I, I think it's better than the original sort of Maribel Morgan Total Woman stuff. Uh-huh. But it is uh, it. But what it has done is narrow down the two verses that women ought to know anything about, or two passages. Yeah. To um, you can guess them. Yes. Proverbs thirty-one. Right. And Titus two. Yes. Okay. So. <clears throat> That there's that there's all of that. There is the response to feminism, which the church needed to respond to it, and then there is this sort of well, women are women have been taught, whether implicitly or explicitly, that theology is not for them, right? And that they uh, need to just know how to keep a good home and leave all of the theology to the men. To which I want to reply, excuse me, but have you seen Luke 10? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sorry. Because Jesus basically takes that paradigm of women should be found in the kitchen and men should be found with Christ and says, Mary has chosen 
the one necessary thing and everything else. Nothing else matters. Yeah. So, so there is that. There is also, and I am, I'm going to paint with a broad brush right now, but okay. I think that there is also a sort of sense that if a woman is too smart theologically, that men won't like her. So if she's single and she's too smart theologically, she won't be able to find a husband. Okay. And that if she's smarter than her husband theologically, that that will be a bad thing for their marriage. So hmm. I would militate strongly against both of those yeah. oppositions. So because of that, then we offer this ridiculousness to women, which yeah. I can't tell you, Ryan, the number of women who have come to me and said, Elise, I never go to any women's events because they are insulting yeah. and uh, because I can't, I just can't stand to listen to the silliness one more second. I'm dying. I'm drowning. I'm desperate. I can't stand to listen to this ridiculousness yeah. anymore. Yeah, well, my wife Tammy came to faith later in life, and so she didn't grow up in the church like I did, and uh, uh, she abhors it. <laughs> <laughs> Not the church, but I mean just so no. much of the stuff that's written out there to women. I, it's just so dumb. It, it is. It's, it's you know, and I, I don't mean to be unkind to my sisters who are writing. But generally speaking, I mean, if I want, if I want to read, if I want to read something about, you know, how to keep my house clean or, or whatever, um, I, I can read something better in Martha Stewart than I can yeah. from you, frankly. Yeah. And then if you tell me, well, I'm going, you're going to do this, and then, um, you know, this is, go this is going to mean that you're never going to have any problems with your husband because you keep a good house, or, I mean, seriously, yeah. or if you, if you keep, you sh your house should be so perfect so that if Jesus would show up at the door, he would feel welcomed. Yeah. All right? I'm just telling you. This kind of stuff is killing women. Oh, yeah. And another thing that it's doing, Ryan, is in the 18 to 32-year-old demographic of women, mm -hmm. the majority of them are single. Mm -hmm. Right. And so are we actually going to say to single women, you have nothing to offer Christ in the church? Yeah. If, you know, aside from, excuse me, your uterus. Right. So, you know, it's just, it's insulting, it's degrading, and, um, and, and uh, you know, and it's boring. Yeah. So give women strong meat, and they love it. They eat it up. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to share a simple way that you can help support In The Room. As you know, most weeks I'm talking with someone who's written a book about something. Now, I love books, and I know firsthand how expensive it can be to try to keep up with all the books that you'd like to read, including the ones that you hear about on this show. And this is why I'm so excited about our new partnership with Givingtons.com. Like Amazon, they sell books at discounted rates, but here's what's great for In The Room. When you buy a book through our store, we receive a portion of that sale to help continue bringing great weekly content. So for whatever featured book we're discussing on this week's episode, we receive a full $2. And for books from past episodes, we receive $1.25. Now, you've probably heard me say this before, but I want to help get this podcast to as many people as possible, and I need your help. 
So will you keep spreading the word on social media and will you consider buying this week's book through givingtons.com? Just go to givingtons.com slash in the room. There you're going to find not only this episode's book, but books written by past guests as well. So check out our new store at givingtons.com slash in the room. Thanks so much for your help. And now back to the conversation. So what do you think, what form then is there, are there examples, I mean, outside of obviously you're, an, you're a phenomenal example of that, but what, what form should women's ministry take? Should that be something that you think is like, so our church is just over five years old. We don't have designated women's and men's ministry currently. Um, and that's for two reasons. One is just the age and capable and, and just capacity of our church and leadership. And then the other one is like, honestly, I just don't know what to do with it. Um, so what do you think about women's ministry, men's ministry, and should that be programmed? What form should that take? What, where, where do you point people in, uh, in that direction? Yeah, I think that if you have home groups uh-huh. in your church, and if, let's say, once a month, uh, you can have gender groups so yep. that the men all get together and the women get together, because there are things that women, you know, need to talk about. So maybe, I don't know if what you do in your home groups, but if you're doing, like, let's say, sermon discussion, yeah. Uh, let the women do that together, um, and that would be a great thing. Uh-huh. Uh, another thing is, I mean, I think I think having a women's ministry is great. The church that I attend, uh, we do have women's ministry, but uh, everything that's uh, used is, of course, um, approved by the elders of the church. Okay. And, um, and please don't, you know, please don't just let a, a woman uh, sort of run with it without your oversight. But then... You know, they get together on Wednesday mornings, and we pick really meaty books, and a lot of them now have videos that go with them. Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, um, Nancy Guthrie. Uh-huh. So she's a Crossway author. Nancy's series on seeing Christ in the Old Testament yep. has uh, videos that go along with it. And so our women uh, watch those videos, read the chapter, get together, discuss it. Um, and we also have someone that does that on um, uh, Wednesday night for women who for women who speak. Uh, excuse me, who work during the day. Okay. So you know you can do that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you're you're one of a number of uh, a growing number of of women who are writing in a much more theological manner. Who are some other teachers, authors that you would that you would point women to to? Yeah, uh, so I'm frequently asked that question. Uh, Nancy Guthrie would be at the top of my list okay, uh, because she really understands uh, the redemptive historical approach to Scripture. Yep. Um, Gloria Furman would be also would would also be really wonderful. Um, my daughter Jessica just wrote yep. a book entitled Everyday Grace which is deeply theological, uh, really lovely gospel-centered, and is a book about seeing Jesus in all your relationships. So, I mean, there are women out there that are doing good work. Um, uh-huh. You just you, you just got to find them. Yeah, well, I, I as soon as we're done talking, I'm actually uh, talking to Gloria, so that will be great as well. Oh, yes, my friend Gloria in Dubai. Yes, she's. Uh, I'm excited about that. It's going to be fun. So I want to talk about, let's, uh, let's shift a little bit, and we'll talk specifically about Found in Him, 
one of the 21 or 22 excellent books that you've written. Um, So found in him is all about the implications of two doctrines, the incarnation of Christ and our union with Christ. So could you just explain those two things for people that might not be familiar with those two doctrines or the language surrounding them? Yes. So the incarnation is basically, when we use that word incarnation, what we mean is that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, uh, became man. Mm -hmm. And he did that by entering the ovum of a little 14-year-old, 15-year-old girl in uh, Israel and gestated, just like you and I did, uh-huh. uh, in his mother's womb, was born just like we were, uh, wrapped in flesh. So, took to himself a human nature and everything that it meant to have a human nature so that... Um, When Jesus came out of the womb, he didn't come out of the womb uh, being able to speak perfect Aramaic or Hebrew or Greek or anything. He had to learn language. He had to learn, um, his mother had to teach him uh, table manners. Yeah. (laughs) He had to go with his father to the synagogue and learn the scripture. And what we learn from the Incarnation is that everything uh, that you and I experience as human beings, what it means to be weak, what it means to be finite, uh, in His humanity, and of course, in His humanity, um, you know, he, he was fully man. Now, of course, He was also fully God, mm-hmm. but He did not access His deity to make his life easier for himself. Right. He had to live his life just the way we do. So, you know, his skin got sunburned. Yep. And he was hungry and he needed to sleep. And when he stood in his father's, um, when he stood in his father's carpenter shop working, if his hand would slip uh, and he would cut himself. Right. So he was just, it, he, he lived our life for us. And so the incarnation is what we see at Easter. Right. We see the, excuse me, at Christmas. The incarnation is what we see at Christmas. That, that little baby, but not just as a little baby, but the whole 33 years of perfect law keeping that he accomplished for us so that all of the demands of the law, you remember Jesus said, it is fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness and not a jot or an iota will diminish from the law, will be lost from the law until all of it is fulfilled. See, Jesus said that because what he was doing was fulfilling all the law in our place, right? So that the demands of the law no longer can condemn the believer. Yep, because it's been completely fulfilled. So, for instance, in Hebrews it says, talking of Jesus, um, we see him starting with verse nine of Hebrews two. We see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus 
crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might might taste death for everyone. Mm -hmm. So he not only lived this life of suffering, but he also died a death in our place. And so when we talk about the incarnation, the incarnation is not simply Jesus in the manger. Right. It is Jesus as fully human, the second Adam, the man who lives our life for us in every area, being tempted as we are, in every respect. So, Ryan, every, every temptation you've ever gone through, uh-huh. every temptation that any of our listeners have gone through, Jesus went through. Yeah. And he went through it perfectly. And the point is not, Jesus is our example. The point is, Jesus is our righteousness. Yeah. And then, of course, he has to be incarnate because God as spirit cannot die. And he has to offer up that flesh that he took to himself, still in human form, still not accessing his deity. On the cross, he has to be made sin for us, made a curse for us, and have all of the wrath for all of our sin poured out upon his head in our place. And then he actually physically dies. Right. That's the message of the Incarnation. Yep. And, and you know, the very sad thing is that, I, and I think it's one of, the, one of the writers from the 15 or 1600s, Martin Chemnitz, said that we, we rob ourselves of such consolation and comfort because we don't think about the Incarnation in those ways. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, the incarnation is kind of confusing. It's like, well, wait, it was, was Jesus sort of like human on the outside and God on the inside? And like, you know, yeah. why did he say he didn't know things? Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's really understanding his yeah. humanity. So the first whole first half of the book is, is on that. And then the second half is really about union with Christ. So what what is that? Yeah, that's that's our wedding. (laughs) That is the fact that because Christ became one of us, and by the way, let me just finish this thought too, his incarnation continues even now. Okay. So, So, even though he has a glorified body, he still has a physical body. Right. So, right now, he is our heavenly bridegroom. And he has basically said over us, what God has joined together, no man can put asunder. Yep. So, he has spoken all of those words of marriage over his bride. So, we are one with him. And what that means, of course, is that uh, we have his continual pardon, protection, and provision. Yes. Well, I, w- one of the reasons I think that, because there are, there are, there's a segment of people that, that really f- are, are intimidated by or insecure about theology or yeah. uninterested in theology. And I think one of the reasons is because either they fail to see, or we as teachers fail to help them see really the, the, 
the actual practical implications of theology on day-to-day life. And so when you think about incarnation and union with Christ, how do those two things impact us day-to-day? Yes, and I agree with you. We have to connect the dots. And that, going back to our previous topic of talking about women's ministry, yeah, women don't have a lot of time to just spend thinking about esoteric ideas in theology. Yeah, I'm like that too. I struggle with that. (laughs) They need to know how the rubber meets the road. Yep. Okay, so the incarnation. How does the incarnation help me? Well, the incarnation helps me for instance, when I'm struggling, um, when I'm struggling to be patient, uh, when I'm waiting in a line at the grocery store. Yeah. Now, okay, I, I understand that that's a very sort of uh, silly kind of a uh, analogy. Uh-huh. But I can stand in line at the grocery store, and well, you know, I can either be aggravated that I have to stand in line. Or I can use that time to say, Lord Jesus, you know exactly what it's like to have to wait patiently for something you want to do. Yeah. And not only do you know it because you're God, but you also know it by experience. Because you had to wait for things that you longed for. Or, let's say that um, someone who has authority in my life is, uh, is treating me in an unkind way. Well, Jesus understands that perfectly. Right. I mean, you remember when he goes, and when he's 12 years old, by the time he's 12, he knows who he is. Yep. And so there he is at the temple uh, inquiring, asking questions of the, um, of the scribes and Pharisees, and uh, his parents have been searching frantically for him for, for three days, and they come and they chide him. And they say, why have you treated us like this? Didn't you know? And, and Jesus looks, looks at them and says, oh, oh, you didn't know I would be here? And I'm sure that it was difficult. I, I mean, they were unhappy with him. Right. Um, and, then, and then the Bible very sweetly says, he went back and submitted himself to them. Yeah. So, you see, Jesus understands, not just because he's God, but because he was the God-man. Right. Jesus understands what it's like to submit to authority that really is beneath you. Right. That really doesn't understand you. Yeah. And doesn't really even understand God's purposes for you. Yeah, I mean, good. think about it. Mary, after Joseph dies, Mary and the brothers and sisters of Jesus... Go try to do an intervention with him. Yep. <laughs> you know, he's lost his mind. We've got to bring him home. Right. And again, Jesus understands that by experience. Therefore, he can pray for us. He can sustain us by his grace. But not only that, the most important thing is that he walked through every one of these temptations without sin and he is our righteousness. That's our record. Yeah, that's good. Well, what would you say are, we've got about two minutes left, and uh, really want to encourage people to pick up this book if they haven't already, but I think this might help. What, what are some signs that a person might be struggling, struggling to functionally live in light of these two things? Well, fear and anger. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're worried 
that, um, that, you know, people aren't helping you or God isn't helping you or, you know, fear. Well, knowing that your heavenly husband, Jesus, is, is one with you, is betrothed to you, and that he has promised to protect you and he understands you. He understands what it's like to be weak and frail. Um, and that he, that he has pledged to sustain you, you know, that will, that will help you not to worry or be afraid. And, and also the knowledge that he's your righteousness. If you know that Christ is your righteousness, then you don't have to be worried about whether or not you're being good enough for God to love you. Yeah, that's good. And then, of course, anger, you know, like, I'm trying to be good enough. Why isn't anybody else getting their act together? Well, when you, realize, when you realize that your righteousness comes from Christ alone and that he bestows it upon you graciously, then when you recognize that, then you don't really have to look at other people with contempt. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a great place for us to end, and I do want to really encourage people really to pick up any of your books, but specifically uh, Found in Him is excellent. Uh, I want you to know how thankful I am uh, as a pastor and as a husband to have someone like you that I can point to, point women to, and men to uh, as, a, as a really faithful author and teacher, and uh, so, so thankful for your ministry and thankful for your time today. So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. My thanks to Elise for taking the time to chat, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I hope that you found it helpful. Don't forget that you can stop by my blog at ryanhugley.com for all the ways that we can stay connected via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you'll also find any additional show notes that you may want from today's show. Until next week, I count it an honor to learn with you. I love you, and thanks for listening.